0: Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, here's your
1: host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back. And now we're talking about suffering and how we can have peace in our life. My guest is Mark Coleman, who's the author of From Suffering to Peace, Make Peace with Your Mind and Awake in the Wild. He is the founder of the Mindfulness Institute and has an MA in clinical psychology. Mark has guided students on five continents as a corporate consultant, counselor, meditation teacher, and wilderness guide. And his website is markcoleman.org. And he's going to talk today about the inner critic, about the voice inside our heads, and what we can do about that to bring peace. Welcome, Mark.
2: Thank you for having me on your show.
1: Yeah. Uh, talk about the origins of this book, how this particular topic came to mind and why you wrote it.
2: Sure. Well, I've been studying mindfulness and meditation for uh, over 30 years, teaching for the last 20 and have had a unique vantage point on the growth and explosion of mindfulness in the world, um, partly because having trained in the Buddhist tradition and seen it from that vantage point, but also taught uh, through my Mindfulness Institute in organizations and healthcare and business and psychology and education, um, just had a sort of front seat view to how mindfulness is really growing, proliferating, and touching millions of people Mm-hmm. And my concern about, about that growth and anything, anything that grows that quickly that tends to be, um often shortcuts or possible misinterpretations or reducing something so it's scalable. That happened with yoga, I see it happening with mindfulness. And so I wanted to speak to the depth and the context of the tradition, the, the perspective of mindfulness from the tradition, which is really a path of practice that's not just about attention, but cultivating insight, understanding, and a genuine peace and freedom in the midst of life. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to speak to that to a mainstream audience, but speaking to the depth of the practice. So that's where the book idea came from.
1: Well, it's interesting because today, mindfulness is everywhere. It's become like a hot buzzword, as though it's new, like yoga. Like, well, yoga was new. You know, these things have been, what, millions of years old, thousands of years old. So, it's just uh-huh, interesting uh-huh. that now, when I do corporate trainings, I'm doing them on mindfulness, and because people are, there's so much stress. And so, you're also bringing this into companies, but but you're bringing it everywhere, where do you think the link is for people to get mindfulness? You know, because there is a difference between mindfulness and just sitting on a mountaintop and saying Om. So talk about that.
2: Yeah. So um, yeah, there's there's a reason why mindfulness has exploded because, because it is a very uh, helpful, accessible, effective tool. And um, I think contrary to the popular presentation of mindfulness where, Mostly mainstream uh, culture portrays meditation as this kind of navel gazing, blissing out, floating on clouds, right. and you know, a, a panacea for every problem in your life. Mindfulness is really, actually, I think of um, as a radical confrontation and meeting and turning towards life and and in all of its dimensions: its beauty, its joys, its sorrows, its challenges, and meeting that with clarity, with understanding, with intelligence. with with discernment, and so we can use, we can cultivate this beautiful innate quality of awareness that we have, train that attention, so we can really understand the human condition and how, particularly in seeing how we cause unnecessary stress and hardship for ourselves and others, and how we can actually find a more skillful, wiser relationship to life that we can find a genuine freedom and peace in our lives.
1: Mark, what if the situation is really a tough one? So I'm going to give you the three examples that I often give. One is health, where, you know, you might have be diagnosed with a very tough disease. Another one could be what? financially, you know, you might have to declare bankruptcy. And the third one could be, you know, this long-term relationship just left. I mean, these are, uh-huh. you know, very threatening, scary. Um, how do you... How do you go from that? Because there's suffering involved in that. How do you go from, how do you bring peace in? That's the question.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, and these are you know, really important themes, you know, that you know life is as beautiful and as wonderful as life can be. It's also challenging. It's vulnerable. It's uncertain and uh, stressful. And there's plenty of uh, pain and suffering in life. And so kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, that mindfulness Country to running from that or transcending that or trying to, you know, sort of whitewash over it, it's really helping us learn to meet our experience. And, and, and much of human experience, I would say, is vulnerable, it's uncertain, it's challenging. And as you mentioned, you know, it's health, challenging health things, money stresses, relationship uncertainty and ending, um, physical pain, right? And many hard things in life. And so what mindfulness, how mindfulness serves with that is that um, we're simply learning, like in meditation, I think of meditation as the lab, the laboratory for the, the, uh, our mental training. We sit in meditation and any and all kinds of things show up from, from peace to stress to mostly thinking a lot and, and worrying a lot and feeling strong emotions and getting bored and all, you know, the usual stuff of life and um so we practice we train in just moment by moment noticing what's here being present to it allowing it accepting it feeling mm-hmm. it understanding it the mm-hmm. the the premise being that by running away from suffering whether it's you know a painful health diagnosis the reality of aging financial mm-hmm. uncertainty um, mm-hmm. by running away from that stuff we don't learn we don't grow we don't understand by meeting it with a, with a with a curious attention that, that supports a sense of understanding meeting it with a kind attention it doesn't make any of that stuff go away but it allows us to find a way to navigate those realities you know for example I have chronic back pain and um I'll just say this briefly um and you know my meditation practice does not make my chronic pain go away. That's a, a structural issue. and um, But I can find ease in the midst of it. So the, the, mm. the, the equation is pain equals suffering times resistance. If I'm judging, fighting, contracting, hating, belittling, shaming myself or my body for being in pain, what happens like for worse? If I can actually soften yeah. relax
1: and, that that, and render. Yeah, that was yeah that was my question by the way that was what coming out next is what do you deal how do you deal with the shame because the financial issue can bring you what did I do? How was I stupid or what did I do with right. my body that was dumb or what did I do in the relationship that didn't work me 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 and you know and, and turning off that voice and saying, look I was doing the best I could in all these situations it just happened. Right. I lost a client or I didn't, you know, so I guess, um, how do you, because I think the shame part is, is the worst because it just puts Mm -hmm. you into this low, low self-esteem. You want to be in a ball in a corner.
2: (laughs) So that's
1: my question.
2: Right. Yeah. There's, um, you know, there's two levels of suffering, right? There's initial suffering, right? You lose a client you have back pain, your partner walks out and you, that's all painful. The second layer, as you say, is this shaming layer, which I call coming from the inner critic, the judgment. Yes. That, you know, you could have, could have, would have, should have done something right. different. If only right. you had done this, you're a right. fool for not paying attention, for not showing up or blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, with mindfulness, we've become very aware of our mind, our thoughts, our mental processes. And one of the things that we see the most is our critical mind that is basically has this inbuilt negativity bias that only focuses on what's wrong, only focuses on on where we're not enough or what we should have done differently. And of course, with that voice, with that perspective, you can't win. It's a lose-lose situation. And so with mindfulness, first, we become aware of that voice. Second, we become aware that we have a choice whether we listen to it, believe it, give it attention, give it authority, or see, oh, that's my mind, my old patterning of my mind, telling me I'm stupid or unlovable or not good enough, that's a point of view and a perspective that's narrow, that's distorted, that's not worth listening to, and I'm going to give my attention to something else or actually assess the situation yeah. without the lens of that negative bias.
1: Yeah. But I think that takes discipline, doesn't it, Mark? Because oh, at course. one point, you have to say to yourself, stop.
2: Yes, for sure. It takes discipline. It takes time. It takes, you know, because the critics... Just because we recognize, oh, my mind's very judgmental doesn't mean it stops being judgmental. Usually it's a deeply ingrained habit that we've had for decades. But one of the things that how mindfulness, and I see this as very, very liberating for people when they learn mindfulness practice, is they have some agency around their mind. You know, we listen to these voices in our head like they're living in furniture. We never really give them much attention. When we start to cultivate that self awareness, then we actually see wait a minute, a lot of these thoughts. A negative, a lot of them are inaccurate, a lot of them are unhelpful, they're kind, Mm -hmm. unkind, they're mean-spirited, how about I actually do something different, which is not listen to them, not believe them, not keep drawing them on, and um, so it gives a sense of agency and choice, and in that choice, we can choose a more healthy response, and as I say, it takes time, it takes practice, it takes perseverance, but we can see tremendous shifts over time.
1: Fascinating. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, there's something in your book I want you to talk about. When letting go happens through the process of letting be. So I really want to go into that. Letting go happens when you let be. So we'll talk about that. And also how mindfulness can help us manage those triggering emotions. So there's a lot more to talk about. Um, Do you teach courses or online courses or resources for people, Mark?
2: Yes, so I have, um, aside from my books, I have um, courses. You can find out about them through um, my website, markcolman.org. I run mindfulness teacher trainings and nature meditation teacher trainings where I train teachers how to teach mindfulness and meditation in nature practice, which is my primary work these days. Um, And I also have online courses that you can find about through that website, markcolman.org.
1: Okay, wonderful. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, my guest is Mark Coleman. His book is From Suffering to Peace, The True Promise of Mindfulness. So stay tuned. There's plenty more. Mindfulness is such an important topic and very popular right now. And it will really help us. So again, stay tuned. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. We will be right back.
3: you ever experience the joy of living, not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself? Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy, from a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease, to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune in to Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia
1: Raskin Show. Hi, everyone. We are back, and my guest is Mark Coleman, who is the author of From Suffering to Peace, Making Peace with Your Mind, and also, oh, and also his book, Awake in the Wild. And this book, From Suffering to Peace, the subtitle is The True Promise of Mindfulness and Why Mindfulness is So Important. Mark Coleman has taught mindfulness meditation retreats and trainings worldwide for 20 years. And he's the founder of the Mindful Training Institute. So welcome back. Welcome back, Mark.
2: Thank you. All right, so
1: let's, um, thank you. Let's go to this. This one really interests me. You say in the book that letting go happens through the process of letting be. What do you mean?
2: Well, I write about that because, you know, in these days, in this sort of era where there's a lot of New Age ideas about spirituality and human happiness, is an often bandied around word, well, you should just let go. If you just let go, you'll be happy. And if and my, my response to that is, well, if we could let go, we would. And the reason why we can't let go is because there's usually much more complex, painful mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. need to, processes right. that need to be worked through. So, for example, you know, someone's saying, oh, and I can't get over grieving for the loss of this relationship or this my, my pet who died. And, and someone says let go in a very sort of, sort of, kind intention but really sort of not very you know uh, wise way but you say well just let go and of course you know, many things in life like grief like sadness like sorrow um, that we don't just let go we actually have to explore them feel them experientially we have to walk through those st- the stages of grief and when we can let the grief be when we can let the sadness and the loss and the sorrow be then the letting go happens by itself so the letting go for me is a process that first we need experience, we allow it, we feel it, we know it, we understand it. And when mm-hmm. we're no longer in contention or struggle with it, then the letting go happens effortlessly. You
3: know, occasionally, we can, you know, if
2: we're, like, we've been talking about our judging mind and our, our critical thoughts are going, mm-hmm. you know, at times we can just drop them and get on with something else. But for the deeper, so, more so, emotional life issues, right. it, it's really a process.
1: So the letting be is really acceptance, correct? Isn't that what it is?
2: Yes. Yes, it's certainly the the, the the most important primary step of any experience is we, yes, we first have to accept, allow, and it's the allowing, the noticing, and, you know, through that, letting go, the release, the reactivity can, mm. can, can unfold.
1: How can mindfulness help us manage those triggering emotions?
2: Well, um, this is one of the places that, you know, mindfulness is really... Uh, been given a lot of attention, particularly in the in the world of psychology, because so many people are stressed, you know, and having reactive triggering emotions is, is a natural part of the human experience. And we're not necessarily given tools how to work with it. We certainly don't teach it to our kids in school. We don't learn it as adults. And often people feel blindsided or overwhelmed by strong emotions of anger or fear or anxiety or sadness. And, again, mindfulness is a training in how to meet experience with awareness, with kindness, with understanding. And so, the, and it's also an embodied practice. So mindfulness is very much focused on tracking and sensing our physical experience and emotions happen in the body. And the more that we've trained our attention to be present to our body, present to sensations, present to the emotions that arise in our physical experience, like when you think about being angry or anxious, that's a physiological experience the more that you to in meditation and elsewhere to just bring a kind attention to that, to breathe with it, to feel it, to sense it, to see how it comes and goes, to see how it doesn't last forever, to see how it, it gets triggered by thoughts or, or situations, how it um, uh, uh, keeps uh, a certain momentum going with, with, with rehashing, say, the, you know, say we're, we're, we're triggered by something somebody said, we keep yes. stirring that up each time yep. we remember it. So we can understand, like, the, the causal process, how things come, how things pass away, and and to see how, again, we, we often add fuel on the fire by judging it, oh, we shouldn't be so reactive, or we shouldn't be sad, or we shouldn't be anxious. But in fact, what's needed is first to allow it aloud and notice it, meet it with acceptance, with kindness. And then we have a choice, you know, whether to... You know, the, Basic mindfulness is providing the clarity to have choicefulness about whether we act it out. And mindfulness is the middle way between suppressing and acting out. We feel it, we notice it, we allow it, but we're not actually acting out in an unconscious way.
1: Yeah, I I want to respond to that because for me, when I recently I got a reactive comment from someone and, you know, my first comment, I, I was very angry and upset and they didn't know about it and they went away and I thought about it. You know, I thought about it, and then I realized where they were coming from, that they were meaning it as a helpful comment, but it didn't feel that way. And so I, once I internalized that and I realized it, I just decided to let that go, if you will, because I know it's not coming from a demeaning place. And But that right. took me a while, because it doesn't feel good when you get these kinds of, well, you know, this could happen. So... Um, I just wanted to mention that because that process kind of sounds like what this is about.
2: Yeah, yeah. Your, your self awareness of tracking that comment, tracking the painfulness of it, right? And the awareness is hopefully giving you enough information not to act it out. You know, it's, it's a typical example of an email. You get a nasty, critical right. email, and we're chomping on the keys, and we're, we're angry and triggered, and we hit send, and then we go, oops, I shouldn't have sent that to my boss. Yeah. That wasn't, I needed I need to calm. But mindfulness yep. also helps us kind of regulate, calm down, get clear and centered before actually, um, you know, choosing to act in some way that may or may not be helpful. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's, it. I think everything you've said here. I mean, it's very much a discipline. You have to be aware. A lot of people, though, Mark, aren't aware. They just say things. I mean, they, it just comes right out, and they don't have this kind of awareness. They don't do mindfulness. So those are the people that we have to be mindful with, right, because right. they don't have the awareness.
2: Right, right. And, and of course, you know, especially in a working environment, that comes up a lot, right? You, you might be developing self-awareness and letting go and acceptance, but you're around people who don't care about the stuff or just don't live that. And, yeah, and that's, that's, you know, or going back home to our families, they might not care about these these qualities. And so, yeah, it, it behooves us to actually do our work and so we can navigate those situations mm-hmm. a little more easily.
1: You talk about sympathetic joy. Explain that. We've got a couple minutes left.
2: I'll talk about sympathetic joy. Yes. So um, I was waiting for a longer question. Uh, yes. Sympathetic joy is a beautiful quality, um, and it's a quality that's very much needed, I think, in our, in our society. Generally, and sympathetic joy is the opposite of envy and jealousy. So when someone you know is successful or experiencing a lot of happiness in their lives, often our first sort of knee-jerk, egoic response is, is a little more, is a little contracted or a little mm-hmm. jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, why isn't that happening mm-hmm. to me? How can people get a promotion? Yeah. And of course, that's a very negative state. And it often comes up with, around friends and loved ones. We're, we're, they're having this great thing happening and we're feeling contracted. And so this appreciative joy practice, which is an ancient Buddhist practice, is a way of saying, okay, well, um, you know, uh, you know, may, you know but it, basically it's a wishing practice. May your happiness and, and, and joy continue May your success and good fortune flourish, and it's a way of again, it's seeing the reactive knee-jerk response, unhooking from that, and then seeing, okay, how can I find a more spacious, a more wiser, a more kinder response? Which is, oh, good for you, you got it promoted. Good for you, you found a new, you know, beloved or you know, new puppy, and and so it's putting ourselves in their shoes and letting ourselves feel their happiness and celebrating with them. And of course, what happens is we feel also the joy and the happiness that they do, rather than being caught in this very painful quality of envy and jealousy.
1: And also, if we feel that, doesn't that often help bring it to us, right, when we are grateful and appreciative
2: and kind? Of course, yes. Yes. I mean, the Dalai Lama's uh, one-liner on this was, by cultivating appreciative joy for others, we improve our chances of success or happiness by 7 billion to 1.
1: Wow. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah,
2: wow, yeah because that you really know, there's is. a lot of people having, having right. joy and success right. and happiness. You know, I, I practice this so much when I'm at airports, and I'm watching right. people in the dog right. park with their puppies, and so many opportunities.
1: Yeah, all right. We, we have to close, but to, just a very short answer. What do you hope readers will take away from this book, From Suffering to Peace?
2: That, uh, that peace is available, that mindfulness is accessible and you can cultivate it and find well-being and peace and understanding in your life anyway.
1: Thank you, Mark. Thank you. And the website is markcolman.org. All right. Thank you so much for being on the program. It was great. Stay on the line for a second, please. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. You can find me on Facebook, Patricia Raskin Raskin Resources, or if you'd like a copy of my newsletter, which will outline all the guests I have on every month, then certainly write to me, Patricia, at PatriciaRaskin.com. Until next time, have a great week. Bye for now.